Thank you, Laura, for, uh, yeah, worship team for that beautiful worship and uh, for focusing on the rest of the story as we begin this morning with sin. <laughs> um, We can dive into sin in not only a, a corporate perspective and not only in a, a message like this. We, we can have the courage to step in and discuss it and reflect on it and to think about it and to be reminded of our own depravity because of what we have just been singing about. Uh, I can't imagine... <laughs> trying to deal with or even spend any time thinking about my own sin if I didn't know that I had a Redeemer? Can you imagine the depression that would come? Can you imagine the despair that would be there? Maybe, maybe you've been there. <laughs> I had the privilege of finding Jesus early on in my life, and so, you know, my sin has certainly been something I've thought about, but it's never buried me to that extent, it seems like maybe for someone who doesn't know Jesus, and yet is coming face to face with the sickness that lies within. But maybe you've been there, maybe, maybe you even are there now, maybe you've not found Jesus. Maybe you walked through the door of this church this morning looking for some answer because you know that what you've been trying to do is not working, that you keep failing and the world keeps failing you. But there is a great Redeemer. Sin is everywhere, though, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's all around us. We, we really can't escape it. It is all around our world, right? You just see it every day. Like, the news loves to report on it, right? So, I mean, this is what you get all day long. If you watch the news at all, it seems like everything is negative. Like, it's all bad. It's all sin. It's all crime and murders and, and all these kind of crazy things are going on. And just ugliness and hatred and, and division and fighting and all of the wars. It's, it's like sin is everywhere. That's, that sells, I guess, in news, right? Now, we can maybe sometimes think, well, it's really not that bad, but I think we need to be careful going there, right? Because the reality is it is that bad. It is everywhere. It is all around us. Sometimes we might want to try to isolate ourselves and think, oh, no, it's really not. No, 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 it is bad. Matter of fact, I think there's a struggle sometimes within uh, the New Testament church today, especially today, this, uh, you know, this focus on God's love and forgiveness without repentance, without a recognition of our total depravity, our total need for Jesus. Sin is all around us. But even, maybe perhaps even more scary, is that sin is within us. The reason we can't escape sin is because it's not about just other people. <laughs> we take sin with us wherever we go. The battle within to control our minds and to think right thoughts. The battle to do things with right motives. The battle to do the right things. 
Sin is indeed everywhere we go. Isn't it nice that we can come to a place like this that's perfect though, right? <laughs> right? That's a reality too, and too many of us, well, maybe all of us, have found that reality as well. We come to church thinking, oh, there's, that's the perfect place to be. Oh, it is the perfect place to find the perfect one. But it's not, that one is not sitting in the pew. <laughs> that one is sitting on a throne, amen? amen. Yeah. Along with this reality that sin is everywhere is that the consequences of sin are also everywhere. Many of us experience the sin of others <laughs> and how that's hurt us. Taken away our innocence, broken relationships, broken our heart, broken our lives. But again, I think facing the consequences of our own sin sometimes is so much harder. Have you hurt someone you love, <laughs> right? It's amazing. You, you, I remember, especially when I was younger, thinking that uh, somehow I was, could escape, you know, sin, that somehow I was, you know, bigger than that, or somehow I was, you know, I was, been a Christian all my life. I can handle this. how quickly our sinful nature humbles us. The consequences of sin are not just the consequences of other people's sins, it's the consequence of our own sin. When we're the ones that are breaking others, when we're the ones that we're hurting others. Sin is all about destruction destroying life and relationships, destroying beauty and destroying hope. Sin leads to death, to isolation, to mutilation and despair. Unless we think this is a new phenomenon, we see it throughout Scripture, throughout the history of humanity. Indeed, in the garden, right? It starts there, in a perfect world, in a, in, in a place where it's just a couple of people, right? I mean, some of us think, you know, if there's just less people in the world, I'd probably be a more righteous person, right? <laughs> you know, like, it just didn't have so many people to deal with, right? I could, you know, I, I think I could handle this, right? I could be really, really holy. But even Adam and Eve, right? They, they couldn't do it. It was just two of them, right? They, they couldn't handle it. <laughs> and they sin, but it, it, it's amazing. It gets immediately, it's just passed on. It's everywhere. In the beginning, it's there, but it continues 
completely through them to their kids, right? I mean, how quickly it escalates. I mean, they just kind of have a little bit of an argument and like blame game going on, but their son like goes to the level of murdering, right? Jealousy and murder. And then you would think, you know, maybe like we've got this big flood where we kind of wipe everybody out and there's just one family left. Like, okay, we've wiped out sin, right? We can do that. No, sin even survived the flood. (laughs) And then we get to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and (laughs) man, you would think, okay, God's called these people, man. They're going to be perfect. They're going to be great. It's going to be awesome. I mean, God's going to, this is their people, right? They're God's people. Man, you just see sin everywhere. See, Jacob in the story that, actually, let's read the story, and then I'll talk about it. Yeah. Genesis chapter 27. Genesis, oh, 37. You're right. Somebody's going, hey, 27. Wait, we, would, we did that one a long time ago. You're right. Well, not that long ago, actually. Anyway, Genesis 37. Um. And I love, you know, I love reading whole chapters. So we're going to read this whole chapter. I know it's like, oh my gosh, that's a lot. We're going to do it. It's going to be great. And this is a great, this is a great chapter. You guys will love this chapter. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings, in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives, and Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph, he had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, hear this great dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf rose and stood upright, and behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brother said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have, ha- that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the saying in mind. Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to him, Here I am. So he said to him, Go now, see if it is well with your brothers and, the, and with the flock, and bring my, me word. So he, went, so he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And, at the, and a man found him wandering in the fields, and the man asked him, What are you seeking? I am seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, where, where, they, where they are pasturing the flock. And the man said, They have gone away, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. 
They saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. <laughs> but when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, let us not take his life. And Reuben said to him, shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty, there was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat, and looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing uh, gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. The, then Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him up out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt." When, when Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, The boy is gone, and I, where shall I go? Then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the blood, a robe in the blood. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, This we have found. Please identify whether it's your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, It is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, No, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, the officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. What a crazy story, but filled with so much sin. This is the people of God. These are the patriarchs of God's people, and this is how they behave. This is what's going on. I mean, it starts with Jacob, right? He, he, he's, his favoritism to his son creates the jealousy, in part, from his brothers, right, to Joseph, right? J J what is he doing? Like, J why are you showing this favoritism? Like, why don't you just paint a target on Joseph's back by giving him this coat of many colors, right? I wonder if that was the color, right? It was like this target on the back, right? Like, what are you thinking, right? But this is something that, what, Jacob didn't learn on his own, Right? Jacob's mom and dad also picked favorites. His mom picked him. His dad picked Esau. This is something you learn, and this is the reality of sin, is that sin is passed down oftentimes from our parents, right? From, from our grandparents. We can track sometimes specific sins and how they just get passed down from generation to generation. Perhaps you've experienced that in your own life. Areas of weakness, if you will, in your family, you know, kind of genes. 
where you have experienced a certain kind of way of viewing the world or a certain particular sin that you find yourself just naturally drawn to. Find yourself struggling to resist that sin as well. But more than that, we have the arrogance of Joseph. Right? I mean, what is Joseph thinking? Like, seriously. I mean, he had to be, and I know he's only a young guy, 17 years old, right? And the foolishness of youth, right? You're like, oh, hey, guys, I got this great dream. Oh, it was amazing. Oh, my gosh. I got this, like, bale of hay, and it stands up, and all your bales of hay all bow down to me. It's amazing. Oh, my gosh. Don't you think that's great? I mean, what is he thinking? (laughs) And then after he says that, right, then to come back a second time. Like, oh, I got another dream. Oh, it's so fun, right? I mean, the, the foolish, right? But haven't we all been there as well? And sin works that way in us. No matter when you come to know Jesus, I was at five, but boy, I still had the foolishness of youth, thinking that I was holier than I was or that I could do things that I couldn't or that what, whatever it may be, and I was so foolish. And I think about some of the decisions I made when I was a kid. I was like, oh my gosh, it was so wrong. foolishness. But also we see sin comes in another way in the brothers, the jealousy of the brothers. Now, in some sense, this is spurred on by their dad and his favoritism, but I think there's also another piece going on here. It's a weakness of character. They were jealous. I mean, they already saw what happened, I think, with their dad, right? I mean, Jacob was the younger one. He wasn't supposed to be the one to get the blessing. He wasn't the one who was supposed to get the birthright. And you've already seen God step in and do something miraculous there, right? To choose the younger. And so now they're seeing this happen again, and they're frustrated by that. They're like, no, why not me, God? Why can't I be the one that gets to carry on? How How come he's the favored one? So there's a, I think, a weakness of character I think we all experience. Those moments, those those thoughts that come, the actions that follow, because we just have sinful nature in us, and it has warped us. It has skewed our perspective. Sometimes these character flaws are really hard to see, and it's not until We talk about murdering our brother or eventually sell our brother into slavery that we go, wow, what am I doing? Where did that come from? This is the way sin is. Sometimes it's passed down. Sometimes it's just foolishness. Sometimes it's a character flaw. Another hard chapter to read is chapter 38, where we see Judah take sin to a different level. (laughs) And we see Judah being driven to sin in chapter 38 out of his own fear and desire to try to control. He gets married, has a few sons, marries one of those sons off to a woman named Tamar. He dies. And he gives a second son to her, and he dies. 
And so he kind of freaks out. He's like, okay, I'm not giving you my third son because I've only got two. And they're you know, kind of like a black widow here kind of situation. Like, what's going on? Why do my sons keep dying? And of course, we learn it's because of their own sinfulness. And then later, after Judah's wife passes, he seeks comfort from a prostitute who turns out to be his daughter-in-law. The amount of sinfulness in this family of patriarchs is really shameful and somewhat embarrassing for us as Christians to say, yeah, that's my heritage, <laughs> right? But it's true. Sin has been everywhere since the beginning. It's been around us since Adam and Eve's first sin in the garden. It rushed in, and it's taken over. And I think the question that we have to ask now is, what about us? Do you know your sin? Are you aware? Again, we can often look at Scripture and go, oh my gosh, these guys are bad people. <laughs> I would never do those things. <laughs> oh my, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Are you aware of your own sin? Perhaps like you, uh, 1 Timothy 1, Paul writes this, 1 Timothy 1.15. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. I don't know about you, but I've read that verse before and I thought like, this is Paul. What? Like, you're the worst sinner? Come on, Paul. <laughs> a little hyperbole there, man. I mean, you're kind of stepping over. I mean, come on. It's not. I mean, I mean, maybe you were did some bad stuff before. You know, you found Jesus. But I mean, come on. I mean, but actually, as the older I get, I I guess I find myself identifying more and more with Paul's statement. I don't know, <laughs> yeah, I don't know about you, but I've, I feel like, I've been a Christian since I was five years old. Like, I know this stuff, right? I've been in the church my whole life. Like, I, this, this, I, I know what's right, I know what's wrong, and, and, but I, I feel like today, <laughs> I'm so much worse of a sinner than I was when I was five years old when I was 10 years old, when I was 20 years old. And I don't know that it's actually true that I'm a worse sinner, but I just think that what is true is that I'm more aware of how sinful I am and have always been. Are you aware? Do you, do you recognize it? Do you see the sin that's in you? Do you hear the thoughts, the words, the selfish motivations? (laughs) 
Oh, but praise the Lord. There is a great Redeemer. You know, we see in this story of Genesis, if we fast forward, <laughs> we see like God's redemptive work. You know, sometimes we can think, you know, that, you know, God as redeemer is like in Jesus and Jesus only. Like that, that, I mean, it is, but it's like Jesus is working in the Old Testament too. It's like we think that Jesus' redemption was only on the cross. That's the great redemption, the redemption of all time, of all life, for all eternity. But God has always been a redeemer. We see it throughout the Old Testament, not just in the stories of the lives of his people, but we see uh, uh, prophets proclaiming his redemption over and over again. And where did they get that? Where did they get the idea that God was a redeemer? From stories like this in Genesis 37 and 8, and then you fast forward to verse 50, and you go, oh my gosh, look what God just did. Genesis 50, verse 20. As for you, this is Joseph talking to his brothers. As for you, you meant to sell me when you sold me. You meant that for evil. But God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. God was able to redeem the sin of the brothers. He was able to redeem the foolishness of Joseph. And at the end of this story in Genesis, we see this great harvest of salvation of people's lives because God redeemed sinful people. The sinful acts that they've done, right? I mean, these are not good things. But we see this over and over again, that God is a redeemer. He takes our sin. He takes our foolishness. He takes our arrogance. He takes the, you know, our, our, our just evilness in general, and he's able to weave it into something beautiful, to turn it around, to make it something gorgeous and powerful and good. Despite jo Jacob and Judah and Joseph's failure, they are able to see, if, if they are able to see Jesus. They're able to continue to seek him. Notice that all Jacob and Judah and Joseph, all of them turned to God in the midst of this. It's amazing to see Judah's difference at the end of, of Genesis 50. At, at the beginning, Judah's the one that suggested, hey, let's sell this guy off. At the end, he's protecting Benjamin and saying, no, 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 Joseph, don't send all my brothers back. Don't go get Benjamin. Don't, I, we can't leave Benjamin. We, take me instead. What's happened? He sought the Lord. He has been transformed. He's been redeemed internally. But also we see the redemption come externally in the saving of lives. The ultimate is, this is Matthew, the genealogy of Jesus. Now, in ch chapter 38, I didn't mention this, in chapter 38, so J Judah has this relationships, incestual relationship with his daughter-in-law. She gets pregnant, has twins. One of the names of the twins is Perez. And then fast forward to Matthew chapter 1, the genealogy of Joseph, the father of Jesus. Who do we find? And Judah, the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez, the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father. We see that God used this sinful act by Judah and was able to turn it around and redeem it and bring glory to his name. People, we have a God who redeems. 
He redeems our sin. He takes our, our garbage. He takes our trash. He takes our foolishness. He takes our sins, and he can turn them around and make them something beautiful. He can use them for his glory. It's unbelievable. I'm shocked over and over again by this reality that he has somehow been able to take my sinful acts, the things that I meant for evil, and use them for good. Have you seen that in your own life? Have you seen God redeem, not just internally your soul, but have you seen him redeem the outward effects of your sin? I hope so. If you haven't, keep looking. He's doing it. He's working. We have a God who is gracious and merciful. He knows our tendency to sin. He knows our tendency to destruction, but he refuses us to leave us in it. He refuses to leave us in it. He's always continuing to pursue us. God is always at work seeking to redeem our sinful decisions, to turn our mistakes into blessing. And of course, the greatest redemption of all is that after living a lifetime of sin and rebellion, those of us who have bowed our knee to Jesus as Lord get our entire life and future redeemed for all eternity. Amen. Amen. God is good. God is good. Now, to close kind of this piece out, let me zero in on this reality that the, the way that we get to enjoy redemption, the way that we get to uh, experience the fullness of that redemption is through worshiping God. Again, as I said, Jacob and Judah and Joseph, they all worshiped God despite their sin. And as they worshiped God, in the midst of the pain and the suffering, in the midst of the guilt and the shame, God was able to continue to work within them to bring redemption internally and externally. The reality is, is that who we worship determines the level of redemption that we will receive. If we turn from sin and worship Jesus, we will get to enjoy a great amount of redemption. But if we turn to sin and worship it, we will miss out on a great amount of redemption. Now, you might think that's kind of funny what I just said, that, what do you mean, worship sin? <laughs> I had this revelation as I was preparing this message that you know, sin is actually an idol. Now, it's not an idol maybe in the way we normally think of it, but, you know, an idol is something that you spend a lot of time thinking about. An idol is something that you spend a lot of time trying to appease. And I think we have this reality in our world that when we sin, we have two options. Continue to worship the sin. Continue to embrace the sin or reject the sin and return to worship of Jesus. The great thing about grace is that we, you know, he know, Jesus knows we're going to keep sinning. And, and, and that's just a reality. But we're, we're ter- what re- determines whether or not we're going to be able to experience his redeeming hand at work in our life is what do we do when we sin? You know, David had a, it was a man after God's own heart, and some of us know the story of David, this adulterer, this murderer. He's a man after God's own heart. Wait a second, how could that possibly be? 
How could it possibly be? It could be, it could be because David, when he sinned, he turned back to Jesus. He refused to stay in his sin. He refused to continue to focus on his sin. He, he refused to remain in his guilt and his shame, even considered the praying over his son who died, right? He's like praying on his knees as finally his son dies, and what does he do? He gets up and he says, all right, let's go. It's time to worship. It's time to move on. It's time to go. What are we going to do? Are we going to spend all of our life in guilt and shame over sin? We're worshiping sin. Stop. For those who know Jesus, those who have bowed their knee to Jesus as Lord, sin is no longer a dividing point between us and him and eternity. It is only a dividing point if we continue to worship at the foot of sin instead of at the feet of Jesus. So when we sin, we choose not to continue to worship. Sin. We've, we've stumbled and we've fallen, but then we go, no, Jesus, help me. Sin requires certainly repentance for the unbeliever and the believer. I think we need to have a practice of repentance in our life. But sin, reconciliation from sin, redemption from sin does not require us to wallow in shame and in guilt. God has given us a life of freedom from sin. Sin is no longer our master. We do not have to bow our knee to it any longer. Yes, we will stumble and fall and make mistakes, but that is not, as as Romans 7 says, Paul says, there's just something inside of us, but when we sin in that way, when we want to do what's right, but we do what's wrong, we don't have to allow that to control us. We don't have to allow us to stay there. No, no, this was a foolishness. This was a a stupidity. This was sin, but we don't have to stay there. We just simply turn our face back to Jesus, and it's done. It's finished. Now there may be consequences, but we don't have to live in bondage to sin. Amen? Amen. All right, worship team, come on up. (laughs) The amazing and most powerful thing of all is that we have, that the redeeming work of Jesus is more powerful than any sin. Doesn't matter what it is. Doesn't matter how bad it is. Doesn't matter how many there have been. Jesus' redeeming work is more powerful. And the reality is that sin is not worthy of our worship. It's not worthy of our attention. The only one who's worthy of our worship and our attention is the one who came and gave his life as a ransom for many and resurrected from the dead and is now seated at the Father, interceding on our behalf. Every time we sin, let's turn to Jesus and resist the urge to hide from him or to resist the urge to stay in the, in the wallowing in the sin and shame. Every time we sin, we, we can turn and find Jesus still there looking into our face and glad to see our eyes once again. Church, sin is a powerful foe, but it only has power when we worship it. May we cease any worship of sin in our life and turn our eyes and worship our Savior. Amen? All right. Let's stand and worship together. Hear the word of the Lord. There is therefore now no condemnation 
For those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, stay standing and stay in here if you'd like. We're going to pray for Bob and Sherry. Bob and Sherry, would you come forward? Elders, would you come forward? Uh, and uh, we're going to take some time just to pray for them as they head out. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, very good. I will get uh, the mic. Do you have the handheld? pray, Joe. Get a couple of you guys to pray. You guys pray with us as we uh, pray for Bob and Sherry as they head off to Fallon uh, tomorrow. And uh, thank you guys for your amazing years of ministry here. We blessed you last weekend and with a lot of that. And so we're not going to talk about that. We just want to pray for you and send you as you go. And may God bless you in that. So, Joe. Lord, we are sending our family, our faithful servants to yeah. you uh, to bless another congregation. We ask you to... Um, have them cherish their memories here, their friendships here, maintain them, but also open their hearts for new, what you have for them in this new situation. And we greatly ask your blessing upon them in this change, Lord. Yeah, I, I, Lord, not only are we sending family, we're sending friends. Mm -hmm. We're sending loved ones. God, you've blessed us with them for many years. And it's uh, hard to see them go. But uh, Lord, you, you're in this. And so we give you praise because you're sending them to a place that, that you're calling them to. And so with that thought, we ask that, that you would uh, strengthen them, uh, give them vision, uh, give them a, a, a courage and, and hope through all this transition and Lord bring friends um, so that there's there's people to fellowship with and enjoy time with and uh, although there's memories from from the years here many good memories um, may there be more there father we ask you to bless their ministry and power in Fallon Nevada Father, we just uh, we 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 bless them as they go from us to Oasis Church. Lord, just bless their ministry. Lord, just thank you again for for Bob and Cherry and and their ministry. Thank you for uh, their leadership. Thank you for uh, for how they invited people into their home and and Lord, we we are going to miss them. Lord, bless their ministry as they move on to Fallon.
Father, as we send Bob and Sherry off to a new ministry, we just pray that your spirit goes with them to guide and direct them. I pray that your hand will be upon them there in the Oasis Church, Lord, there in Fallon, Nevada, that you will use them in a mighty way for your honor and glory. And may you just uh, let them know that you're with them all the way and that you're going to be with them, guiding and directing them and using them by the power of the Spirit. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Amen.